Hello, and welcome to Great Takes Less Filling. I am U Street, and joining me this week is Andy, GopherGuy05. Praying at the temple of the Big Ten ref gods. Yeah, that was 100% of pass interference, which we'll talk about. And if you're curious as to what we're talking about, the University of Minnesota Golden Gophers are now 2-3 and three in conference play after a 34-31 victory over the Purdue Boilermakers on a Friday night at TCF Bank Stadium. The game came down to, uh, well, let's say some interestingly bad play calling on offense and defense from the University of Minnesota that was matched by Purdue's interesting and potentially quite bad play calling and play execution, such that Minnesota emerges victorious. Andy, what did you think of this game? Um, well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> uh, the, the, the Gophers uh, played pretty well on offense until the fourth quarter again. Uh, the Gophers are horrendous on defense until maybe the last drive of the game where they may have had an interception that didn't happen and and the Big Ten refs bailed them out, although screwing them at the same time. It, it was just a cluster, man. Um, to, to think that this Purdue team was apparently one of the top teams in the Big Ten West, which we thought for a week or two was, was something because both these teams are very, very middle of the pack. Uh, but you know what? It, it'll, it'll come down as, as a win for the Gophers, even though Jeff Brom will not be happy about it. Um, and you know, we're, we're, we're two and three somehow. Um, you know, it probably just meant that we just upped our chance of getting Michigan State instead of Rutgers or Penn State in week nine. But, you know, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm totally fine with it, too. I mean, I think the nature of this season is silly and ridiculous. We don't need to deal with that. Minnesota had 25 players who were out tonight, either via injury or COVID. So we hope that all of the players who are out uh, for any injury or COVID-related reasons recover as soon as possible and are very healthy. Same goes for all the players who were out on Purdue. Purdue had their backup quarterback in. It was Jack Plummer instead of Aiden O'Connell. Jack Plummer went nuts on a very bad Minnesota defense, 35 for 42, 367 with three touchdowns and one interception, which ended the game, uh, the interception. And so I will go right into a weird Necton of the week. And I will actually say that the Necton of the week had Minnesota lost this game would have been Jack Plummer because I would be making general arguments about my absolute fury at the third and more importantly, fourth, call, fourth quarter play calling from uh, Mike Sanford and company. But instead, my Necton of the week will be uh, Mo Ibrahim, who once again, crossed 100 yards, though not quite, just over 100 yards, not his usual nearly 200, and three touchdowns in this game on 25 carries, and those three touchdowns uh, end up making the difference. I will also give a shout out in the negative sense, uh, unfortunately, in terms of college kickers, to uh, Purdue's kicker, who will not be very thrilled at his one for three performance, which is actually the difference in this game, not the correctly called pass interference call against a Purdue wide receiver at the end. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I will give my necktown of the week to uh, Chris Ottman-Bell. I mean, we've been very pro-Mo, and, and Mo did get three more touchdowns today. Uh, just on a side note, Mo now has 13 touchdowns in the year. He is in five games, just five short of Gary Russell's team record of 18 touch rushing touchdowns in a season, which is just insane if you think about it. Um, uh, so I'm going to give my props to uh, Chris Ottman-Bell. Chris Ottman-Bell was the number one receiver tonight five receptions 129 yards didn't get in the end zone because mo and cam took all all the credit once we got close in the red zone uh but he made some big catches down the stretch um 
yeah, you know, the the play calling on on both sides in the fourth quarter was was definitely questionable. There, there's no doubt about that. Um, but let's be honest, the only thing that anybody is going to remember this game for was the last op- Purdue offensive. Well, okay, the second to last Purdue offense play of the game. Nobody's going to remember the the Ani interception. Josh uh, Ani will remember that well, interception fair, fair. And, and pro to him because he had a less than stellar game, but came through in the end with a really nice interception. But yes, I agree with you. Most people are going to focus on that pass interference call. It of course, isn't even the strangest call that the officials even made on that drive. That goes a couple plays before when it appeared that there was an apparent interception by Coney Durr that he was unable to secure when he went to the ground. Ball popped out. It was touched by Caleb Swenson, who happened to be standing out of bounds at the time, before David Bell managed to make a great catch from his back. However, not a legal catch, because Caleb Swenson, when he touched the ball, was out of bounds, and the rules state that if an out-of-bounds player touches the ball, the ball is therefore out of bounds. So Minnesota apparently... Uh, simultaneously does and doesn't catch a break, so very Minnesota. A couple of plays later, Purdue appears to score a touchdown. Uh, A nice kind of deep post route. Uh, Jack Plummer threw one of uh, yet another many of his excellent passes, and there is a flag on the play with some yellow on the ground, and then there's a pass interference call that is being set against the offense, and I will be Uh, very, very open to the fact that I initially thought that the official had said the wrong number because it didn't appear to me, at least as the way the play was being shown on television, that there was any problem with number 87 who is being called for the pass interference call, except it turns out it was number 87. Andy, you, uh, you initially did not think this was pass interference, but then you were corrected by me and have come around to my line of thinking. Why was this an offensive pass interference call? Well, well, I mean, every angle that the Big Ten Network showed for the first couple of times through the play, it, it doesn't look like from behind the play, it does not look like pass interference. It looks like he, uh, Payne Durham, who is the Purdue tight end, who's one of the best tight ends in the Big Ten, just sort of runs past and brushes past Philip Howard. Um, you know, from that angle, and which is why all the Purdue fans are going absolutely irate online, which, let's be honest, if this had happened to Minnesota, we'd all be going irate too. Um it doesn't look like pass interference. I mean, I I and was sold that the Gophers got bailed out that it was not pass interference. Until you see the sideline view and you can see that Durham has a full arm extension pushing off Howard. Now he doesn't do much. He maybe gains about 18 inches of space off of Howard, but it was a full arm extension pass off. It is textbook definition offensive pass interference. I could understand why in that situation of the game people would be pissed that that was the call. If I was a Gopher fan and they got Jake Paulson for that call, I would be irate. But it's the correct call. It's offensive pass interference. It is correct. The referees made that call, and then Plummer got flustered the next play and threw a horrible pass right into right into Josh Oney's chest. Uh, the Gophers get the interception, and they move to 2-3. and three. It's going to be talked about. Uh, it's a national game. It's a national TV game. There was nothing else going on. So you've had various national media who were irate at the call. You've had every single Big Ten blog basically, uh, you know, MGO blog and, and, and the, the Michigan SBA Nation blog were putting up like pictures of blind people calling them the Big Ten refs. The scariest thing is Coronation, Nebraska's blog, actually came to our defense saying, no, that's textbook pass interference. That's a, that's a good call. Um, 
And it was. We can complain about it. Jeff Brom, like I said, I almost wanted to push this back so we could have listened to his press conference because I can only imagine there's going to be some gold coming out of that. But if you look at the side angle, there's a full extension of Durham's arm. He is pushing off Philip Howard. It's the correct call. It's pass interference. It is pass interference. And as I mentioned before, a thing that is always true with all fans, and I absolutely am one of these people too, I completely agree with Andy, if Minnesota had lost this game in a similar sequence, I certainly would be furious. I would be laughing. It would be very funny, but laughing in a gallows humor kind of way. That said, it is rare, and this game is definitely not a game for which this is the case, for which officials decide a game. They do happen. Uh, It certainly is something that I think fans complain about, but as I mentioned, the real reason why Purdue lost this game is against possibly the worst gopher defense I have seen what, 15 years, maybe? It, you it, think? It, it's, it's been some time. It, it, you know, I, I, I have partial, I guess we can go back like 12 or 13 years. I, I have partial hatred for the uh, Kyle Threat, Ryan Collado years in the secondary. But uh, Yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe that first Jerry Kill year where just an absolute dumpster fire. You know, Mason, his kind of like worst year, had a really bad defense. But this defense, Minnesota's defense is putrid. I mean, there's there's no way of getting around it. They take bad angles. The players are really young and inexperienced. They're appearing to think and not react too much. As a consequence of thinking and not reacting too much, they're getting bit multiple ways. The play calling itself has been getting picked apart, especially in the second half. And in the second half of this game, Purdue scored 21 of their 31 points, and or an offensive pass interference away from scoring 28 points in the second half. So that aspect, Minnesota's defense is bad. If you only put up 31 points against Minnesota's defense with the amount of offensive firepower that Purdue has, especially at the wide receiver position, and when your quarterback, let us not forget, goes 35 of 42 for 367, it ain't the officials the reason why you lost. The reason why you lost is you had two chances to put it in the end zone. You didn't, had to settle for field goals, and your field goal kicker did not execute correctly. That's why Purdue lost this game. And so Purdue doesn't have the officials to blame themselves. They really have only themselves to blame. Conversely, had Minnesota lost this game, it definitely wouldn't have been because of the officiating. It would have been because of, again, defense being putrid, but that's true. Uh, And then also, really heinous, Fourth quarter offensive play calling yet again. Andy, have some thoughts on uh, on Mike Sanford? Yeah, you know, I had I had the four letter words all all lined up, ready to go again. Uh, assuming that you know the Gophers were going to blow this, which let's be honest, I don't think there was a, a anybody other than people on the Gopher sideline who thought they weren't going to blow this because uh, it, it was almost a carbon copy of the Maryland game uh, when Minnesota needed to advance the ball and when Minnesota needed to get first downs, they got into a shell. And they ran inside zone on first and second down and got themselves on on third and long, two di- two drives in a row at the end of the fourth quarter. Now, I'll give the slightest a bit of the benefit of the doubt to PJ Fleck and Mike Sanford because it appears Mo Ibrahim got hurt on that second to last drive and didn't return the rest of the game. Um, sounds like they're looking at his arm. Hope that he's okay because if he's not, Wisconsin next week. Uh, um, but Cam Wiley and Bryce Williams cannot run against nine men front. They can't. Mo Ibrahim can't run against a nine man front. We saw that in Maryland. They they can't. 
So it is upon you to recognize that and put your offense in a position where they might be able to succeed. And then on the third and seven, do not throw a crossing route to your best receiver that doesn't even get beyond the line of scrimmage, much less the nine yards you need for a first down. What are you doing? I have no way to understand the thinking behind that play call, in part because that would have been a perfectly reasonable second down call. You got you bring in a bunch of of people into the box. The expectation is run. So you run a tiny little drag route. You expect the linebackers to bite in on the run. And so press forward. That gives you a lot of space. Rashad Bateman in space does very well. I think it is incumbent upon everyone, perhaps, uh, to learn certain lessons from Mike Leach. Not a lot of lessons, but some. And the basic lesson of the Mike Leach air raid the variance of the air raid since is, hey, throwing a pass three yards to your wide receiver and then your wide receiver gets another yard is equivalent to a run. Minnesota has, I don't know how many times we're going to say this, a first-round NFL draft pick. They also have Chris Ottman-Bell, who I think could skate his way into a later round or, you know, unrestricted free, you know, undrafted free agent NFL kind of player. Daniel Jackson had his best game, at least that I've seen this year as a gopher. So they have lots of, lots of playbill at the wide receiver position who can catch passes. And in the fourth quarter, the level of conservatism that is coming, and I will even accept that some of this is coming from PJ Fleck and will expand this criticism to, to him as well. The over arching level of conservatism on offense is not helpful because Minnesota is not Alabama. They're also, I mean, for that matter, in terms of a running perspective, they're not like classic Wisconsin either. They're not classic Glenn Mason, Minnesota, for whom like actually, you know what, fine, run against eight and nine man fronts. That's okay. That's not where Minnesota is going to be successful. Minnesota should not have only scored six points in the fourth quarter. They, they, they should not only score 13 points in the second half because Purdue's defense, frankly, was not doing a very good job for much of this game. It is because, in part, because of the play calling, some of, of course, execution, but a lot of it is just the under, underlying strategy behind what's going on in the fourth quarter makes no sense. We saw an almost identical game occur against Maryland. On the one hand, if your offense scores 34 points, you should win basically every game you play. On the other hand, Minnesota's defense is probably going to give up at least 35 every game unless you're lucky. So the the notion that you need to be super conservative on offense when you get late and attempt to like grind your control clock only is ever going to work if you actually can get more than one to two yards oh, down. And they're definitely not doing that. It is very confusing to me. Well, it's not even that. So, I mean, we're obviously complaining about the last drive of the game, but the second to last drive of the game, Mo goes out, you know, Bryce Williams gets you, I think, five or six on second down. So you have third and three and then fourth and one. And you run inside zone with Williams, and then you put Seth Green in, and you have him run it right up the middle. And I think it was it was one of the media members, I think it was Chris Long from KSTP Channel 5, who, who tweeted out, and I 100% agree. Basically, you've run two plays this season with Seth Green in the green zone. Either he takes it right up the middle or he hands it off and takes it right up the middle. It's fourth and one on the Minnesota 40-yard line. Purdue sees Seth Green back there. 
You think they're not going to put 10 guys in the box and blitz off the edge like they did? I mean, how, how can I understand that that's what's going to happen, but yet Mike Sanford and P.J. Flett can't understand that that's what's going to happen? Because also, it, let us not let us not forget, while he doesn't do it often, in the history of that package, Seth Green has thrown the ball. And every time he has thrown the ball, he's been to a tight end most of the time than to a wide receiver once. Uh, but every time he's thrown it to the tight end, the tight end is disgustingly wide open in the end zone. And I don't believe they have done that since, well, they haven't done it at all this year. The Outback Bowl was the last time they did that. Yeah, they, they, they yeah, rarely Green, do it. Seth Green has not thrown the ball once this year. And I, I don't have his carry numbers or anything like that. But they've, they've probably been in that formation, let's say, 15 times over the course of the first five games. And probably the running back has gotten at 10 and Seth Green has gotten at 5. They do not do anything else. And it's not like they like run sweeps or anything. It's literally, we're going right the bleep up the middle. So... If you're P.J. Fleck and you see that Purdue has the guy out wide and there's nobody covering him and you've got Seth Green in the shotgun four yards deep and you know he has to make it five yards before the D-end runs in uncovered, how do you not call timeout there? Because anybody with a brain could see that play was destined to fail. I mean, that that's that's what gets to me is it's just, just, just things like that where it's like, I mean, you and he'll say, oh, we had trust in our offensive line to get it done. I love Seth Green, but Seth Green isn't a 4-4 burner. And if you've got a DN coming full speed off the end and you have to wait for Green to catch the ball, fake like he's going to hand off, and then run five yards up the middle, it ain't working. It just I agree. Seth working. Green has thrown in his career, he's thrown six pass attempts. He is five of six on them the only one that was not successful happened to be an interception but i think this is an example when i talk about how look a three yard pass plus one yard after the catch is a four yard run and particularly when there are nine guys in the box that should be an almost automatic pass from a quarterback who is ostensibly as good as tanner morgan is supposed to be morgan struggled this year with his accuracy but he's still a good thrower of the short pass his short passing game is fine give the ball to your receivers in space let them make a couple of yards if nothing else it at least puts into the mind of a defensive coordinator bob diaco may have a very strange mind but nonetheless it puts into the mind of a defensive coordinator that if we're going to load up they will take the free option pj flex offense Certainly for Kirk Sharaka too, but I think PJ Fleck's offensive strategy has always been, we're going to do something to put our best player in space. Now, they'd like to run the ball. I don't think PJ Fleck would in any way dispute the idea that Minnesota, if they could, would run the ball every single play. I think he very much thinks, as like Rich Rodriguez used to think, that we have the spread, we have the spread pass, but all of that's to set up the run. The same way Urban Meyer thought about it. Now, P.J. Fleck is more conservative in many ways than both of those coaches, but I think that's the idea. We're going to have really great wide receivers. We're going to have a really great uh, RPO game or a really great short intermediate passing game such that you have to respect that, which will give us advantageous numbers in the box. They are seeing the definition of disadvantage from a running perspective throughout the fourth quarter, and Mike Sanford is continuing to decide, let's run the ball. And not just let's run the ball, let's run the ball in the exact same way that we do every single time. There's no creativity even 
within the nature of how they do it. So it's great they got the win today. Look, this is a free season in a lot of senses. And Minnesota has put up a lot of points. So on the one hand, you might think, oh, Mike Sanford's doing a really good job. But it's really hard for me to believe that the best this offense can do in the fourth quarter with the amount of firepower it has against a Purdue defense that frankly was bad for most of this game is six points. I just, I don't believe that. Well, and like we said, I mean, it there, there's now a track record of, you know, Mike Sanford had a really good offensive game play the first half against Maryland. Mike Sanford had a really good offensive game plan the first half against Purdue. Minnesota moved the ball. They did what they needed to do. They balanced the run in the past. They got it done. But now this is two times in a row when it's come to crunch time. And all you got to do, I mean, we understand you want to run the clock. But all you have to do is get one or two first downs, and this game is over. Same with Maryland. All you have to do is get one or two first downs. And it's run up the middle, run up the middle, throw a plast play that never has the chance to get the yardage you want to do. I mean, repeatedly. At, at some point, and I mean, we hope that Minnesota is in this situation again. Let's be honest. It's probably not going to be next week. Even Northwestern might be a stretch. Hey, let's say, let's say in Lincoln. The situation is, you you don't think that Scott Frost and the Nebraska defensive coordinator is going to be going, ha, 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 we know exactly what they're going to do. Let's put nine guys in the box because Mike Sanford, for whatever reason, won't try and dial up. If you got nine guys in the box, that means you have single coverage on both Chris Ottman-Bell and Rashad Bateman. And you have burned the defense multiple times on single coverage when they have blitzed. For the love of God, throw the damn ball. I think you have to trust your quarterback in that situation too. And I don't I don't mean this to say that, oh, Sanford and Fleck don't have trust in Tanner Morgan. That would be a stupid opinion. That's not the opinion I have. I am just fully agreeing with Andy's point here that when you have the receivers that Minnesota has and you have the quarterback that Minnesota has, nine-man fronts, eight-man fronts should be free, easy pickings for passing. And one of the things, and I mentioned this you know, during the game, especially in the first half, Minnesota was doing a really great job in the kind of horizontal passing game, a lot of drag routes, you know, out routes, in routes, things that we things where the receivers were running towards the sidelines as opposed to running towards the end zone. And one of the things that should set up, and you did see it a bit in the third quarter when they had some success with this, is, well, eventually the defense is going to get more compact, and that means the vertical passing game is going to be there. And that was, and Tanner Morgan had a couple of brilliant throws and some phenomenal catches. Chris Ottman-Bell, in particular, had some phenomenal catches on the vertical passing route. Seth Green had a great catch, uh, got nearly decapitated to and kept holding onto the ball, but were vertical routes. So late in the game, when you've set this situation up and the defense is getting very compact, that vertical route didn't go away. If anything, it's probably there far more than it might have been otherwise because as Andy noted you're going to get single coverage the safeties are definitely going to be looking into the backfield a little bit more than looking for the pass it's that kind of thing that I won't understand and if that's something that's coming from PJ Fleck then I guess that is a difference of opinion that I have with the head football coach of the University of Minnesota I I almost think it's 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 got to be the only thing I can think of is that it's PJ's obsession of of timeouts or gold 
He, he needs to run the ball. We need to run the ball so that Purdue will burn timeout. Well, let's put it this way. A lack of timeouts was not keeping Purdue from winning this game. A lack of timeouts did not keep Maryland from winning that game. Timeouts are not the be-all, end-all. If you've got third and eight, I understand that you don't want to take a sack or anything like that. But why are you running a crossing route with your best player six yards short of the stick? That's a really slow developing crossing route, too. I, I mean, so if it, we're it, especially on the ground, like, oh, get worried about taking a sack, maybe don't run a play that takes two to three seconds to develop. I mean, and the only thing I can think of is is he feels, okay, we're going to take a deep shot. It goes incomplete. We basically gave the, de- the, the opposing team a free timeout. Well, yeah, or we catch the ball and the game is over. I mean, I, I know it's all risk-reward and things like that, but and, and I'm not watching the All-22. But I can't imagine that a better play call on in that situation, or even, you know what, on second down. It's the second down. Second down's actually the point, because on third down, you can also understand that, oh, maybe you think substantially more on the grounds of, we don't want to be in a situation where our punter is even in bigger trouble. But it's the second down play call. And the second down play call, you're also seeing eight, nine-man box. And that's why we mentioned at the, at the beginning of this. Like, that is that is a slow-developing drag route. It takes a little while for it to develop. It takes some stuff going. Second down, it'll be fine. Because if you expect kind of a similar blitz or sort of a run blitz on second down, running a drag route behind the linebackers should be fine. The... The lack of creativity, I think, is happening a lot more on second down than it is on third down. And it also creates situations. Look, first down, you get one to two yards. And on second down, you get one to two yards. You're putting yourself in a bad position on third down. Second down is a waste. A four-yard pass is as good as a four-yard run if you stay in bounds. Pass the ball. Well, especially when you get to the point where you're starting running backs not in the game and you're in there with Cam Wiley and Bryce Williams. It's like, okay, PJ, I love the fact that you have faith in your in your second and third, and honestly, let's be honest, third and fourth string running backs with Trey Potts out. But, dude, it, it ain't going to get the job done. When when your number one running back can't get three yards in that play, your, your backup is not going to do it. So I don't know what you have to lose other than you know, obviously you got Purdue to take a timeout after that play, but I, you know, and, and granted, I don't know whether it's part of Sanford's playbook or I don't know whether it's, uh, they just don't do it. I haven't seen a ton of like good play action from the Gophers offense on that second, whatever. I understand that, you know, Purdue's probably coming. So maybe you don't want to waste two time setting up a play action, but if you can get the safeties to bite, it's literally a Tanner, throw the damn ball up and watch Bateman go get it for 35 yards. I mean, that that's it. It, it's a one-on-one jump ball situation with Rashad Bateman against a terrible cornerback. I don't understand why you don't give him that chance. I don't understand why they don't either. However, it is much better to be having this conversation with you after a Minnesota 34-31 win as opposed to a Minnesota 38-34 loss. So we will take it. Uh, we're very happy that you stuck around for us on Great Takes Less Filling. Make sure you check out the Daily Gopher, for which we will have lots of reaction, not only from this game, but also all of your Gopher football-related news, as well now as we move into the winter, go for basketball, go for hockey, and other non-revenues. So thanks so much for being here. Sky Yuma. Go Gophers, row the boat.